This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> Welcome into episode 86 of the Half Measures podcast. I'm Paul Kanawa and my co-host, Mr. Daniel Whiting, is here. How are you, Dan? Kia Paul. I am doing well. How about yourself? Do you know what? I'm just like I was last week. I've had one of those weeks where I feel like most of what I watched was really great. I'm feeling good. I've been on the road. I've been to the cinema. It's brilliant. You're living your best life. I feel like we've got so much to talk about this week. And it's really been hard for me all week not to text you any details of the shows that we've been watching. Correct. Yeah, there's uh, there's two things in particular, which we'll obviously get to. And I was like, no, don't just because I have no idea what your reaction is going to be to 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 years and years, what your reaction is going to be to No Time to Die, what your reaction is going to be to The Walking Dead. This is what I live for, Dan. I love it. My reaction to The Walking Dead is, uh, you know, always all over the place. So who knows? Even I don't know. Even as we sit here right now, I don't know what vibe I'm going to bring to this. I often think that you've actually got one of those crazy eight ball things that you just shake before I say, okay, Dan, what did you think? And just, you know, just one, yeah. of, the, one of the multiple Dan personalities comes out and you just... It's like, we're bringing the crazy today. Yeah. And, you yeah. just don't know yeah. what you're going to get. I don't know how people work with you. I really don't. I do have a question for you though, Paul. Have you voted in the NZ Podcast Awards? I did. And it felt really quite um, quite wrong to vote for yourself. Um, so I voted for you, Dan. That's what I did. I voted for I you uh, at Half Measures Podcast in the nzpodcastawards.com. I voted for Half Measures. Isn't that a terrible thing? That's, that is, uh, well, look, I'm mixed about it. But if you are listening to this podcast and you haven't voted yet, we would greatly appreciate a vote in the Listener's Choice Award. All you need is to write down our podcast name um, and your email address. And if you want to link where you find the podcast, that would be helpful as well. Yep. The voting is open through till the end of the month. And as we've said before, if we win first place and we get the money, we would, of course, share it out with all the listeners. Indeed, indeed. I we maybe we should hold off getting our, our tuxedos um, fitted just yet. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe, or actually, maybe we could have one of those like stepbrother scenes where we kind of have like one tuxedo and we <laughs> kind of like we spin around to talk. It's just okay. There's a there's a whole scene that could be played out here, and we'll go down a wormhole if we if we carry on like this. So yes, do get along to nzpodcastawards.com. And give us a vote. But until then, Dan, I wonder if I could ask you what you've been watching this week. Well, I feel like I've kind of letting the listeners down. So I've had visitors over the weekend, and I like it's really slowed down my, my Marvel uh, timeline order watch. So, and what it's actually done is I didn't have control of the TV, and so I've got a bunch of movies to bring you which are not Marvel-related. So I've got one Marvel one, but we'll get, we'll get back on track next week. What, you, what you're describing is absolutely terrifying. You're talking about visitors and you're talking about losing control of the TV. These are, these are triggering things you're talking about. And, and you're also telling us that you're letting the listeners down and yet we still want people to vote for us. It's amazing. There's actually an even worse step in here. And I, I was hesitant to whether I bring it on the pod, but our TV actually blew up in the weekend. <laughs> it's too much. 
Well, you've got like a 14-inch CRT TV in the corner now. So. It's pretty much so. There's been this message popping up on our TV for probably about six months now saying there's a recall on one of the parts on your TV. <laughs> you, ne- you need to contact them and arrange <laughs> I would have been in there within a week, and you're talking about six months. I can't handle this. The, the problem is, it's a big TV, like, and they're like, arrange to have your TV brought in, the part will be replaced, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Logistically, I, like, I'm not taking my giant TV off the wall. It's going to be awkward to fit in the car. Like, it was just kind of like, it was a, I need to get onto this, I need to get onto this. And then in the weekend, with visitors, boom, all the power goes. Oh, my goodness. Oh, this is, it gets worse. You've got visitors, and now there's nothing on tv you're gonna to have to talk to people yeah yeah no it's really a problem but anyway the the tv has been dealt with under a warranty issue but it really escalated really quickly oh, well very quickly over a period of six months anyway <laughs> back to what you've been watching okay so bearing in mind so if it's um uh, my niece and nephew stand with me so they were largely kind of in charge of what we were watching over the weekend so the first movie <laughs> The first movie that we've watched is Free Guy. So Free Guy has only just recently come out in the cinemas and it's already popped up on Disney Plus here in New Zealand. And so it's a 2021 movie. Basically, it stars Ryan Reynolds and he plays a bank teller and he discovers that he's actually an NPC inside a brutal open world video game. (sighs) Paul. NPC? Non-playable character. Okay, thanks. Yeah, Um, that's all right. Yep. So he's basically playing this sort of this this passive character who's going about living his life, and there's all these. Let's use the word. Um, well, he calls them sunglass people in in the movie. If you wear sunglasses, you're normally doing cool stuff, like you're in big fight scenes or bank heists or driving a car or a helicopter really fast. And so Ryan Reynolds car Ryan Reynolds character um, is basically discovering that he's in this sort of simulated world. Right. This movie, I've actually had it recommended to me quite a bit um, by a few people, mostly because it's jam-packed with gaming references. I didn't overly enjoy the movie. Like, it was... Like, it was... It was fun. I... I, It just didn't land for me. Like, I I feel like... You know how we talk about with, like, Ryan Reynolds? Ryan Reynolds is always Ryan Reynolds. Mm -hmm. And this is just another case of that for me. Like... It, he could equally be Deadpool in this film. He could like there's not there's not much sort of different stuff going on. So like it's a like it's an easy watch. It's it's not boring or anything. I just didn't find it as funny or as enjoyable as I thought I might. Even with all of the gaming references, I I kind of felt like I was I'd sort of out, outgrown this type of movie a little bit. Wow. That I mean, if you didn't enjoy it, I'd say there's very little chance I will. It's rating not too bad. And I'm looking at the cast and I'm thinking, oh, there's a, you know, you've got Taika Waititi, you've got Jodie Comer, obviously Ryan Reynolds. Um, there's a lot of things here which you would think the poster looks like it's a bit of fun, but it's, is it this, is it more than anything? Is it the Ryan Reynolds, is Ryan Reynolds thing or is it is it more than that? I, I don't know. I can't quite put my finger on it because I think, I like I am, I actually enjoy Ryan Reynolds as an actor. I typically enjoy his style of humor. I think mm. Taika was definitely the, you know, a great um, refreshment and brought a great vibe to this film. And I, like, it was okay. I just didn't, I, I didn't have a great time watching it. And I, I don't know what it was. Maybe it was the, 
the premise of my TV about to blow up. I don't know. But um, it, this one was just – it was just an okay watch for me. Um, and I think – but in saying that, you know, it's now that it's on Disney+, Plus, pretty accessible, uh, no harm, no foul if you want to watch it. Uh, I probably would have been a bit more disappointed if I went to the theatre. How many guns are we going here, Dan? I think I'm going to give it one and a half guns. That's almost on a par with Prisoners of the Lost Universe. I mean, people have got to make a decision which one they're going to watch. (laughs) All right. And then the next film I've watched, again, not in control of my my destiny or my TV, is the 2020 movie called Freaky. So this stars uh, Vince Vaughn and Catherine Newton. And basically what it is, it's kind of a after swapping bodies with a deranged serial killer, a young girl in high school discovers she has less than 24 hours before the change becomes permanent. This was another average to okay movie and that sort of like classic sort of like body swap um type type sort of genre right and i I think the one thing that was sort of interesting about this movie is it's kind of on paper like vince vaughn he's kind of a funny guy uh interesting sort of cast could be good it felt like a movie that was made in 2008 not 2020 and it kind of like sort of straddled some weird lines like it's kind of pitched as a a comedy horror thriller and it kind of swings around at all of those genres and never quite decides what it wants to be um i watched this one here on on neon in new zealand again not a not a movie to rave about but you know we're coming into the halloween season you probably could do worth this is probably a, a two guns akimbo for me Two guns akimbo. That's not that's not good at all. Um, I'm just looking at it and thinking that the writer director Christopher Landon, other than the Paranormal Activity movies, I don't really know anything he's done before. I don't really know anyone outside of Vince Vaughn in this movie. The horror genre doesn't always appeal to me, so this probably won't make it onto my list anytime soon, given the review you've just given it. And then I finally I got one one Marvel movie in mm-hmm. one step closer to completing the the timeline order view. So the Marvel movie that I've watched this week is Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Paul, this movie is fantastic. It completely cleansed the palate from those sort of less than favorable movies I was previously watching. This is only the second time I think I've watched Black Panther. Thoroughly enjoyed it. It really makes me a little bit heartbroken that uh, Chadwick Boseman has has passed away. He's he's so great. I enjoyed uh, Michael B. Jordan, fantastic as Killmonger. Everything about this movie is just top quality. It's so vibrant. It's fun. It's building on the the Marvel universe. It makes me want more Black Panther in the Marvel universe, and I'm glad we're going to get to see him a few more times in this uh, timeline order rewatch. But this is a real four guns akimbo experience for me. I remember I watched this one. I remember coming away just thinking this was a real top-notch movie. I'm shocked by the the rating it's getting online from a few reviews and also the IMDb score. Seem, I mean, that's the same score that Free Guy is getting. I mean, those two things, even I haven't watched Free Guy, but, you know, those two things cannot be comparable at all the whole support cast in this movie as well um absolutely superb i you know i've got a lot of marvel movies to watch but i could easily re-watch this before seeing some of the others easily 
And I think that's, that's what's so great about Black Panther, right? Like this is a movie where you could kind of just jump in to try out, do I like the Marvel Universe? Um, and yeah, you might miss a few things from sort of the wide, the wider ecosystem, but in general, you can watch it as a standalone film and have a lot of fun. Amazing. Well, at least you got one in there, Dan. Indeed, indeed. So on to Doctor Strange next. Hopefully I come back with a few more um, under my belt next week. Awesome. I look forward to that. Doctor Strange is another one I really enjoyed of the ones I've seen. So yeah, nice one. What about yourself? What have you been watching? Uh, a couple of things for me. Uh, like you, I've also been you know, engaged with family. I've been on the road. So one of the things I did watch though, Dan, this is a six-part miniseries available in New Zealand on TVNZ on demand. And this is The Panthers. And so this this came out just this year, in fact. Um, and this, the, so the Panthers were. This is a New Zealand story that they were they were founded by a group of young Polynesians uh, who who came together to to target, um, you know, the, the the racial inequalities, and it had its roots and and its influences in the American uh, Black Panthers uh, at the time, and. So this show is a really it's a really hard watch, but for very good reasons. It is an incredible show to watch. It it tells the story of 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 what happened, some of the key moments in New Zealand history. Um, I came into this having already learnt a bit about the the history of the Panthers, mainly from people at my workplace. And I'll be honest, it was what they had explained to me about the Panthers that really made me want to go away and watch this series. It's uh look, I'm going to say right off the bat, it's all the guns. I a hundred percent recommend this. Have you seen this or is it on your radar, Dan? Um, I haven't watched it yet, but it's very much on my radar. Looks fascinating. Uh, there's some horrific stories uh, in this context. And so it's kind of been a bit of one, I've wanted to watch sort of right place, right time. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. I would, I think right place, right time is definitely what you want. This show is, is written by, uh, and produced by Tom Hearn and her life. And oh, for now. And these guys did a, a really good job. And what I mean by that is the production value. Uh, I have never seen, um, a higher, a higher production value in terms of a New Zealand produced TV show. That's as big a compliment as I can give. And I mean that with respect to anything else made in New Zealand as well. They just did such a, a great job. The cast are also fantastic. And not just the Panthers themselves, but also the cast that had to play, you know, the the parts of some of the 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 racist, dislikable characters. I mean, I cannot imagine delivering some of the lines that they would have had to have done it cannot have been easy to have, to actually say it loud and then you've got a a soundtrack on top of it which is just perfect it's a it's really a complete package in that respect but as like i say you've got to be in that right frame of mind it's somehow watching this is harder than for me hearing and reading about it it's a real brutal watch and um you know the dawn raids the manner in which people were getting arrested with, with with no reason the show explores it, it goes through all of that um and yeah it's uh there's a feeling of like sort of shame or embarrassment to sort of watch it because this is less than 50 years ago right um so it's it's not a chapter that this country would be uh 
proud of. And I think um, from my less than informed opinion, uh, it's a really good window into what happened from the from the Panthers' perspective. You've got to give it up to TVNZ. Like they're really bringing out some some great quality shows on their streaming service and making like, you know highly accessible. We just obviously reviewed Vigil last week, uh, and like a show like this is. It's great that type of shows like this are A, getting made and, and B, being made available to so many people. Yeah, no, 100%. So, yeah, definitely uh, check that out, TVNZ On Demand, The Panthers. And, yeah, as I say, I'll give that one all the guns. Also, fun fact, uh, the showrunner who I talked about, Tom Hearn, who wrote and produced it, he is already a follower of Half Measures podcast. And, Dan, I think that is the first time that we've had uh, someone following us before we've even reviewed something that they're a part of. So, we're obviously turning a corner there. That's pretty good, eh? Amazing. And then the the second thing, uh, so I started last week, the rewatch right from the start with Dr. No this week was from Russia with Love from 1963. Uh, I'm going to make a, a really bold claim, uh, given that I'm quite early into my rewatch and I've still got another 18 movies to go, but I feel like this could be, this could be, the number one for me. It is at least at this point on par with Casino Royale. Connery is at the top of his game in this movie. In fact, I would say until he goes away and makes Red October in the 90s, this is probably his peak performance. Um, and, you know, all, all of the arguments and debates about who's the best Bond, it, I love that conversation. But when you see Sean Connery in this movie, I come away and think that is peak Bond. It's It's so good. And look at that poster, another great poster. You're right, like it looks so good. In fact, even just looking at – you forget how old these movies are. Like I I think, you know, um, from Russia with Love, what's that, probably like 20, 30 years old, but this is a almost a 60-year-old movie. Oh, it's it's incredible. It's – I mean, this is this is how long this – this whole franchise has been has been going. And before that, of course, with, with the books, um, there, there's just so many wonderful scenes in this movie and they all feel natural. And we've talked before about, you know, movies that feel like set pieces that are sort of jammed together. This has just got a natural flow. It's a real straightforward story. Um, it really focuses in on that spy element rather than the the action. Um, Diane and I, we, we often talk about taking a train trip through Europe when, you know, when the kids have left home in years to come. And we always reference the train scene in this movie. It, it's just so good. And I, oh, the characters, again, so we've got Q. Uh, he comes into this movie having been missing in, in Dr. No. Um, and just like Money Penny and M, he instantly hits the ground running. He just instinctively gets that role and he he just never changes. It's brilliant. Um, Blofeld is in this again, pulling the strings, but... The uh, the main bad guy in this is is Robert Shaw, uh, who plays Red. Um, he's probably better known for Jaws, um, but he is he's brilliant in this movie. And he gets caught out. He gets caught by Bond because he says old. He calls him old man instead of old boy, and then he orders red wine with fish. It's the little things. It's superb. Um, Connery himself has said that this was he said that this was probably his favorite bond which was a contributing factor to him returning to voice bond in the from russia with love video game in 2005 um but yeah it's look next up is goldfinger what a golden age i already can't wait for that all the guns from russia with love so that's two things i've watched and two things i had a great time watching 
My question for you, really, Paul, is if you went on said train trip in years to come, <laughs> would you take a tuxedo with you to wear? I would need to purchase that tuxedo. Oh, well, actually, but of course, at that point, I'd already have it from the Half Measures Podcast Award. Um, I think I would. I think that would be actually a, a, a nice surprise for Diana, wouldn't it? If, um, you know, I just suddenly turn up at the dinner the dinner table on the, the dinner cat, whatever they call it. And I've got the, I mean, it may not quite have the same entrance as Daniel Craig, but you've got to give it a go, right? <laughs> it's funny, hey, like, um, I, younger, younger Daniel would have been like a train trip. Ugh. But after watching movie, all these James Bond movies, after watching Snowpiercer, after, you know, doing a bit of travel, the idea of actually traveling via train, like a, a luxury train, seems pretty epic, like, Awesome. It's, I'm all about it. It's it's going to be a different experience to the MetLink train service in Wellington region. I, I believe it will be somewhat different. Indeed, indeed. Oh, I look forward to uh, hearing about this train adventure. Maybe I'll surprise you on the train, Paul, when we could have like a <laughs> a, bre- a breakout fist fight, and then like and then you'll re- return to dinner in a real James Bond fashion. If you do that, can you call me old man, and we'll just replicate the whole scene? No problem. That'd be good. That'd be good. Um, so yeah, those are the the other two things I've watched besides the other four things that you and I have watched together. All right. Should we move on over to The Walking Dead? The Walking Dead. So uh, this week, um, For Blood, uh, the Reapers defend Meridian from an incoming herd. Pope suspects Maggie is behind the attack while Daryl treads carefully and Alexandria scrambles to protect themselves when a violent storm leaves them vulnerable to walkers. This is Season 11, Episode 8. Daniel Wadding, what are your thoughts? Not too bad, Paul, but I need to put it in this context. I'd actually just watched The World Beyond, so coming into this was a a stellar experience. I have got a few a few sort of thoughts around different sort of story arcs and things here. Like overall, I kind of enjoyed that we kind of started to wrap up uh, a large portion of that storyline. I was disappointed we didn't get to see any more of the Commonwealth. And I'll tell you one thing I really did expect at the end of this season, I'm jumping into the end, is I actually kind of expected the, the nukes to potentially go off from Fear the Walking Dead, and I thought that was going to be a, a universe-joining experience, and like sinking off the timelines, mm. and I thought, oh, that would have been a really great way to then come into the next season of a whole different type of threat and a whole different level of um, survival. But um, look, overall, I think they did a relatively good job um, tidying up the storyline. It didn't feel like a super penultimate episode, sorry, a super um, end of or season break episode for me. Like, you know, we we all know that Maggie's going to be okay. Um, We, I, I wasn't sure how I felt about, how us sort of reusing the Whisperer sort of storyline. Like, I think they did a good job of it, but it kind of felt like, it felt too fresh. Like, we just, we've just finished that arc and now we're kind of copying these people for what they did. But look, it was good, I think, overall. What did you think? Yeah, it's interesting here, you say, because I think you're right about the Whisperer element. I think that was, but at the same time, I thought they picked out the elements of that that worked really well so i thought it was such a i thought it was a great opening scene um having that guy i've already forgotten his name leading the walkers along and then having another group of walkers pop up and he as he's taking them down he you know unsurprisingly doesn't anticipate two of the walkers 
pulling a knife on him, um, which was, a, I thought that was a really good um, pre credit scene. I thought this episode, I actually really had a good time. I actually really enjoyed a lot of it. I feel like this, I feel like we've been watching two Walking Dead shows because the Eugene um, Yumiko uh, story over here, it feels very, very different to what we've got with this sort of side of the story. So it's interesting how they're splitting those things out. I thought it was quite tense um, at Pope's place where we didn't know what defences they had. And so when when uh, he says, ready the, the watcher, which I had no idea what he said, I had to turn the subtitles on. And even then I had no idea what he meant. But yeah, what what is that thing? And then suddenly he wheels out this amazing device. Um, I love that because like our, our gang, we're completely in the dark as to what's going to happen to them. Um, there was a lot of... Uh, look, I'll, again, we always talk spoilers. Uh, the death of Pope was something that you and I predicted, what, a month ago? We always knew he was just going to be a, a temporary bad guy. Thank goodness he's gone. Uh, a great way to go as well. I can't say that I predicted that she was going to, you know, knife him the way she did. But, you know, he did go off the deep end with some of the things he was shouting at people. So that was pretty cool to get rid of him. I also thought it was good to actually tidy up the Daryl, um, Lee, is it Lee or Leah? Lee, yeah. Lee, um, storyline, because I, I just felt like that was a forced relationship for the, like the last couple of episodes. And it was kind of good to actually put the line in the sand that actually, no, these guys... They had their little moment, uh, but they actually need to go their separate ways. And I'm sure we're probably going to have a few more episodes of them kind of um, sorting out the the mess that's kind of on their hands. But I, I'm with you. It, it was good to get rid of Pope. It was good to kind of tidy that up because obviously things are falling apart back at um, Alexandria. And it's good to see kind of, you know, I think a few other characters got a moment to shine again. Rosita obviously got a moment to shine um Judith got another sort of um good moment but it's such a it, it's bittersweet for me because like I think Judith is such a, a fascinating and interesting character mm. and I kind of just hate that they've kind of got her like stuck in the house and you you need to spend this time being like a little girl when actually she's kind of a battle-hardened warrior who can sort of go toe-to-toe with the rest of the group it would have you're right it would have been cool if she could have had a good moment so you, as you said Rosita had a good moment when she went all kamikaze it would have been cool if she could have perhaps been part of that with Rosita um uh and then when they let her back in and the door opens and the lightning flashes as Rosita walks in i mean that was that was a little bit um corny but i i still enjoyed it there were a lot of moments like that i enjoyed uh, maggie hot wiring the car and crashing it through the wall uh, uh gabriel turns out he could have been a sniper his whole life uh who knew he he's fantastic um, you just need one good eyeball you just that's all you need and the other thing that you know i talked about the strong start the other thing i loved was a strong ending and it was a real good tense cliffhanger you know we had a really great shot of those flaming arrows being fired right at the camera that's the way it should be um i feel like the last three episodes have been really solid and i i i felt as the credits rolled, I felt like, oh, this show has turned a corner, and it, I feel like that's good because you know when when they when they're not doing well, we're very quick to to tell them that. And now I'm sitting there thinking, oh, I can't wait for the next episode, and that's how it should be with every show. Otherwise, why are we watching? I, I think you're right, and that, that's that's a, a good fair statement that they actually have started doing things a lot better. 
it, yeah, look, I think it's it, it's hopefully going in a good direction. And I think one thing that this season's really made me think is I'm actually, you know, um, you're always going to view the, even though Rick's not around, Rick's crew as the good guys. And I think this this season, maybe more than other seasons, has blurred that line for me a little bit more that actually everyone's just trying to survive. Everyone's just trying to keep their own people and their own supplies and look out look out for their, their own people. And that line gets pretty murky pretty quickly. Yeah, no, it does. And I think um, I'll be fascinating to see what they do with that that line uh, for the rest of the season as well, because there's there are so many character stories to wrap up here, and I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I really don't know which direction they're going to go. Yeah, indeed. Look, a good episode, I think. Definitely keen for um, the second part of the season, which we'll, we'll be back in, I think, February next year. So, yeah, roll on more Walking Dead. Awesome. Shall we pop across to the Walking Dead world beyond? Ah, oh, God, Paul. So this is uh, season two, episode two. And so in this episode, while some members of the group enact a plan to cover their tracks, others attempt to acclimatize to their new surroundings. So I've got to be honest, I really struggled to have a good time in this episode. It was kind of a bit of a hard slog until maybe the last 10 minutes and then it kind of felt like it got a bit more interesting and I feel like I'm just always, always banging on about the negative things about this this TV show. But there's things that just frustrate me. And like a, a good example of that is, so for the whole of season one, the girls uh, Hope and Iris were trying to find their dad, and the dad was kind of built up to be this like gr- like great character. Um, and like I, I kind of suspected like when they finally sort of connected with him a, a lot more emotion and stuff. And I just kind of get the like now they've actually now that Hope's connected with her dad, it's kind of like like he's an okay guy, but he's kind of looks like he's doing some dark shady stuff at the same time. And it's kind of just feels like we had all this emphasis on season one, but we've kind of changed tack a little bit for this season. And now we've got Iris, you know, one minute can't fight a walker, next minute can. It's just I found it frustrating when you know they almost got caught. It it's just not moving quick enough for me. And where the hell is Elton? That's what I really want to know. Oh, uh, that was one of my notes. I put Elton question mark because I'm beginning to think that they've written out the best character in this show. I feel like, and again, I think Hope is 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 a, is actually quite good, but I think she needs a bit of help. Um, you're right about things being up and down. One of the things I thought that was poor was was the um the visit um that uh what's her name julia ormond's character i just Boss. i just call her julia when she shows up because okay so my seven-year-old daughter likes to play hide and seek and she'll often go under the table or behind the curtain you know classic hiding places so if i'm the head of this organization that somehow has become one of the few um organizations to take control of america and i'm looking for someone and i walk into a room and there's four walls and one of those walls has a huge curtain do you not think that at any point i might look behind that curtain just in case i thought that was 
pretty odd. Um, the tension was was really low there. I thought um, the hope story with her sneaking around CRM. That's a story that has really great potential. You know, she could find out things for us as the audience, but they they just wasted that opportunity by just having her talking to that guy about a mop and this. I, I yeah, just we've got eight to go, Dan. We've got eight to go, and we're messing about. It's weird, isn't it? Because I feel like I've kind of even just lost my way, really, with what's happening with Nico and Iris, and like, I'm just like, what, what what are you guys doing again? And it's kind of like. I think the concept of World Beyond, I think on paper, is kind of interesting, right? Like part of an established community, leave that community. But like we said um, at our season sort of review of it last year, the fact that they are only just now finding out that everyone died after they left, like that tension wasn't there. And now they've kind of finding out some of these people or the community's dead. And it's not doesn't seem to really matter. And I think what we're struggling with here is – this is actually like World Beyond is quite a big world build, world building piece to the Walking Dead universe. Yeah. But we don't get to know each of these characters enough to really care for them. Like I don't know about uh, Julia Ormond enough and her character. I don't know about uh, the kids and whether I actually care about them. I don't know whether like are they going to bring down the CRM? Is that even the right thing to do? Like it's it's too big and too small all at the same time. Yeah. No, it is and. Two seasons, we know right from the start. As soon as we knew it was two seasons, we that that my 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 what's the word? Not interest. My attachment, my investment in those characters was was compromised. And it's straight away, it's like okay, so I'm more interested in in the bigger things that they can they can bring forward. And it's the same thing. I, I feel like a broken record each week as well. Just where are those things? There's, we had Silas in it. Was, what was that? Just a, a scene. I mean, this, the ending, as you say. Let's get let's get onto something good. The ending, I thought, was good when we're back at the 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 House of Horrors lab at the end when they show us that Walker that they're doing you know some kind of testing on, and that is where there is so again, just like with Hope walking around the CRM, there's so much potential. Um, you know, she's wanting to know when she can get another test subject, and that's the show I want right there. That's that's what I want to follow is actually bringing a walker in and actually seeing what is it she's doing let's because we've had we've lived in this universe for 11 or 12 years we've got this place in the walking dead where they're still selling ice cream and everyone's wearing clean clothes so if we've got that universe existing and we're testing on the walkers let's let's explore that in this show and let's find out how we can you know how, how can we vaccinate ourselves against these these walkers it's fungi spores ball, that, that's the answer. And I think, you know, stuff like that is actually really interesting because it does, ah, oh, that, that is an interesting, like, scientific way to maybe address the, the Walker problem. And I think one thing that would maybe help with this whole situation is, like, I think I would actually like, like, like I think I would like to know, is this just a story in the future or are you connecting this all together at some point? And because I think, like, I just it's it's hard to sort of like know how much care and attention to put into this, and if I wasn't already so invested in the Walking Dead universe, I would have given up on the show long ago. Yeah. Oh, that's it. It's um, it, it is. If this was not connected to this universe, if this was a similar show, you know, like a um, Black Summer, and this was the quality, I would have stopped. 
It was as simple as that. It's only because of the attachment and the hope that it will come together, the hope that it will give me something which will make sense in Fear the Walking Dead or in the Rick Grimes movie or something. It's it's that hope that we live for. Indeed, indeed. Oh, well, we'll be back again. We won't be talking about The Walking Dead, so we won't have that to kind of uh, get us hyped, but we'll have more World Beyond for a few more weeks to come. Shall we move on over to one of our listener-recommended TV shows? Indeed. So so this was a show that um, Nika um, from Rakiura, uh, Stuart Island, recommended to us and, and wanted us to do a review of as well. And this is a show on Neon called Years and Years. It came out in 2019. And the synopsis for this one is, as Britain slowly turns into a dictatorship throughout the years, the lives of a typically busy family from Manchester converge on one crucial night in 2019. And Dan, I will just quickly, before I hand to you, I'll just quickly say this show really really caught me off guard this this is a show that will stay with me i think for for quite a while but i'll I'll hand to you for some opening thoughts this show is disturbing af so the best way that i would describe this show to somebody else is if you like black mirror and you like to see what a dystopian technology world looks like that feels so close This is a similar context, but more about society. And I'm a bit like you, Paul. Like I thought, oh, six episodes, this will be interesting. But this is a a heavy show that will sit with you for a long time. This feels a little bit too real at times. And it generally actually, like, you know, does a good job at scaring you into what is around the corner if society continues the way that it's been behaving. Oh, 100%. I agree with everything. This show is like Brexit and technology and racism and Trump all on steroids. And let's let's see how that plays out over the course of, you know, several, several years, hence the name of the, the show. When when it when I heard the when I got the recommendation from Nico and I saw the synopsis about, you know, it talked about Britain turning into a dictatorship, I guess I came into this thinking, oh, maybe there'd be an element of I don't know, like a, a bit of sci-fi or parallel universe or kind of like a, a man in the high castle type feel where things play out a different way. But all of those things were so far off the mark because the, the show just simply felt very real, very uh, relatable. And when I think about what is and what might happen to society, it's it's very, very worrying. And yeah, okay, so some of it might have been a little a little bit far-fetched in places but my overriding feeling throughout watching this was oh i can imagine that happening or if we're not careful this will be us or please don't let that happen and yet i just had this this really bad feeling that oh this is quite plausible i think you know if you haven't watched this show yet i think use the time codes and maybe jump ahead because i think to really appreciate the the dilemma that the show presents we actually need probably need to talk about it, a couple of the the different scenarios that happen agree and not necessarily in order but there's things like the the banking system collapsing and anyone who's got their like the the banks will only cover you up to a certain amount anything above that is lost um any sort of insurance around that gone 
uh, basically technology evolving uh to the point well it's already kind of there like with a lot of deep fakes a lot of um using deep fake technology to kind of control the message that gets out to people um people kind of you know like professions which you think of as like fairly everyday professions these days finance banking accounting uh even being being a chef like things that are slowly sort of being removed because of of technology and again the the impacts that it has on society the and i think that the trump message in this show is is so strong as well because they they basically take that take that trump component and they provide a political voice for those people that are sort of feeling unheard or at the moment for better or worse and it kind of just amplifies into this terrible societal world that it, it just doesn't it's, it's not a probably a fun time to live in they, they talk about things like you know um climate change and the fact that they've actually given up on talking about climate change because it's too late like and you know you hear that now right like we've got 10 years to get on top of it and start doing stuff about it but are we really like you know we've got plans for 2050 and 2060 and it's too far away and i think what this show does is it it brings it to the to a head with a with a family to kind of make it a bit real and to see how those family members the people around them need to evolve and change in in a changing world oh it's you've summed that up really really well it's it's the it's how it starts and the, the things that are stressing the the family at, at that point, the things that they think are, are important or they think are stresses or that they're worried about. And as things move on, it's just like those things just really don't matter at all. And the bigger picture things, the climate message, the um, the, the political landscape and the way in which that moves is, as you say, is terrifying. And there was Emma Thompson, who, who plays Vivian Rook. She's perfect in this role. And you know, actually, I can really imagine someone like her happening in the UK. And and I don't know if I should say this or not, but, you know, the, what's, what's terrifying is despite all the insane and uh, outrageous, unacceptable things that she was saying, there were a couple of times where there were elements of what she was saying where I was actually like, oh, do you know what? She's not actually entirely wrong here. And that made me feel very uncomfortable thinking those things because in amongst the madness, there were just moments of like, actually we really need to just be black or white about this literally yes or no what are we going to do about this scenario what are we going to rather than just all the talk but my goodness what a terrifying way in which she she did things definitely and it's i think it's got such a great cast right like we've got um rory kinnear for who plays um who plays uh Tanner. Tanner in the James Bond films. We've got uh, Tania Miller. Um, she, she was, she's a fantastic actress, been in quite a few um, great shows of late. Anna Reid, Ruth Madeley, as you said, Emma Thompson, Jessica Hines. Like, you really kind of like feel for this cast as a family and kind of you kind of going through the, the turmoil that these guys experience. And the fact that they, they do this over six episodes is, is pretty incredible because it's – I don't know about you, but I found after each episode, I kind of felt quite drained. Like I was like, "Oh God!" Like, could it could it get any worse? And it just it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. That's it. It just keeps getting worse. It's really addictive. 
but it's draining. So you kind of want to binge it, but you haven't got the energy to do that and you need to sort of spread it out. But you're so right. The the family were just, they just had such a perfect blend of characters in that family to tell a story. And like you seeing Rory Kinnear, I really enjoyed him having a substantial role after watching him as Tanner in the over the last five weeks. Um, Emma Thompson was great. I thought Russell Tovey as Daniel was also fantastic. And again, you know, we we recently saw him in a smaller part in um, Good Liar, and he was in The Night Manager as the other one I remember. But my favourite, without any doubt, was Anne Reid as as the mum and the nana of the family, Muriel. She was fantastic and. Um, just just so many hilarious lines that she would come out with. It had all of the the great the great elements. I feel like there was just so much heartache in this. You know, I mean, just the the losing the money at the bank, the story with with Daniel and Victor, and the way that ended. And I, I sometimes found myself watching this, thinking, Do you know, I'm glad I live in New Zealand because I feel that you know if if some of this might happen, it might be less likely to happen to us because of where we're based. But then what also struck me and then so the stress me out was I started thinking, well, the things that are happening are happening at a global level or, or failing that at a Western world level. And this show demonstrates how reliant the the world is, even nations as big as the UK on, on the US and what they do has global effects and, Oh, it's just it's just absolutely astonishing. And a quick shout out before I forget, uh the actress who played uh Bethany, uh Lydia West, she did incredibly well because she started off as a really young kid and by the end of it she's she's clearly a woman and it's the same actress throughout and the way they had her clothed and and, and sat was very clever to sort of um sort of fool you into thinking she was much younger at the start. Yeah, no, definitely. I think it's a a good shout. I think this is the kind of the scary thing about it, right? Like you think to yourself, oh, yep, New Zealand, we're a little bit more hopefully sensible than this. But it is just that thing that as soon as like things start collapsing and people start looking inwards and try to, how do we protect that? Like it starts to kind of build that same rhetoric, right? And I, you know, to a degree that <laughs> there's kind of no escape from some of this stuff, but it definitely makes you think about the future I, like, this is a fantastic watch. I, I would encourage anyone to to give this show a watch. And even though it's only six episodes, I would probably say maybe spread it out over three nights, maybe two episodes a night just to, you know, because of my doctor's orders on that one. And then you, you'll have a great time. 100%. And just another thing I wanted to mention, Russell T. Davies, he's the creator behind this and he's, you know, the, the genius that brought back the Doctor Who revival. He just does a fantastic job. It's, this is... Definitely one of the best things I've watched all year. It is thought-provoking, um, and you just never, you just never get a chance to catch your breath, which kind of adds to the whole experience. Um, so, so yeah. So if you're in New Zealand, this one is available to watch on Neon. All the guns for me. Fantastic watch. All the guns for me. Shall we move on over to our movie of the week? Let's go there. And this is the big one. Uh, each week, Dan and I take it in turns to choose a movie. Um, we post that movie a week in advance in our Discord community, which you can join by clicking on the link in the show notes. And as regular listens, listeners will know, over the last four weeks, we've been re-watching the Daniel Craig Bond movies. And this week, we went to the cinema 
and we watched No Time to Die. Paul, this movie should be 10 out of 10. Like, I don't know why I'm seeing 7.6 out of 10 on IMDb. I had a fantastic time, and I, I've been trying to decide, is it because of the rewatch? Is it because of my familiarity with all of these characters, the refreshment of sort of like the journey that uh, Daniel Craig's James Bond goes on? Or, or is it was it just a fantastic movie? I loved every single thing about this movie, and I cannot wait to watch it again. I I think I can, and we'll get there in the conversation, I think I know why it's sitting at 7.6. Um, this movie is, I think I describe Skyfall as a uh, a powerhouse. This is this is Skyfall on, ster- on, on steroids, right? It's just an extraordinary experience. Um, if You know when we watched, um, what was it, the... Uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League and I I sort of said this was an experience that consumed the whole afternoon this was an experience that did the very same thing for me watching this it was quite extraordinary we are going to talk full spoilers so as Dan said previously if you haven't watched it use the 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 time codes in the show notes and jump ahead because there are a lot of things we do need to to jump in with first of all though Dan just quickly James Bond has left active service his piece is short-lived. Commander James Bond to you. That's my apologies. It is Commander. His piece is short-lived when Felix Leiter, uh, an old friend from the CIA, turns up asking for help, leading Bond onto the trail of a mysterious villain um, with dangerous new technology. So it's quite poignant that this movie in you know, sort of takes place seemingly quite a few years after Spectre, given how long we've had to wait for this movie to come out. That sort of feels quite right watching it. Um, I don't quite know where to, to start, but I feel like I love the whole the whole stat to this movie. I love the premise of him looking to bury his demons. The the story of Vesper is still is still there. He's trying to, you know, put that away. And I think what you talked about before, the value of us having gone through the rewatch means that we still feel that that pain of Vesper as well. And so it was a great start. Um it deserved its runtime of two hours forty-three. Dan? I think what's interesting about the start of this movie is it actually doesn't start like how we would traditionally start a Daniel Craig Bond film, right? Like yes. we're actually focused on um, Leah's character and a bit of context about why or why she is the way she is and what kind of led to her story arc. And it actually made me uncomfortable at first. I was like, uh-oh, why aren't we Why aren't we starting with an intense Bond chase? Like, And we kind of got there, but we went about it in a, in a very different way to the rest of the franchise. It's interesting because that you, that you feel that way because, and we have talked on this podcast about, you know, the, the great stat to Quantum of Solace, the, the stat to Spectre, and yet – there was something about the stats to this that I was sat there just, just absolutely taken in. You know, they were playing the all the time in the world music from Her Majesty's Secret Service movie, uh, and and it was slow. And I was just like, this is a completely different experience. And I, I knew it wasn't what I was expecting, but I was already enjoying this experience for this movie. For some reason, it just felt 
absolutely right. Then it cut to the credits, and I'm just going to come out and say it straight away. I thought that the opening credits were poor, and I'm not a fan of the the theme song. I think of all five theme songs, this was a letdown compared to all of the others. How dare you, Paul Kanawa? <laughs> you get back in your box. This is, this is a classic. I have been banging out to this No Time to Die, Billie Eilish uh, song all week. It's I really enjoyed it. I think it was sort of, it was a perfect sort of modern day take. Back in my box. Look, I, I wonder if it's one of those ones. Do you know what's interesting is, just really quick aside, before Casino Royale, before Quantum of Solace, I, I had heard the song, the theme song so many times prior that going in, it was familiar and I really enjoyed it. And because I went into this movie as blind as, I was, as I've ever gone into any Bond movie, it, it, it didn't sit with me. Um, it's interesting because throughout this movie, I, came, I counted five independent Bond music themes that came out, which were quite well done. So we had the Vespa theme from Casino Royale. We had uh, Madeline Swan's movie theme from from uh, Spectre there was obviously the two songs from Her Majesty's Secret Service the music that Hans Zimmer did throughout was perfect and so that's maybe why I felt I just didn't know the theme song so well but anyway let's let's draw a line in the sand because it's clearly been the theme song of your week and I uh, I've come right out off the bat and <laughs> tried to say it's the worst thing ever after that I just thought I thought the opening hour to this movie was as strong as any other Bond movie, certainly as strong as any other Daniel Craig movie. I just really love this whole, and they didn't try and rush it. They really took their time with the whole, look, he's left service. And uh, it was a real hard thing to get him to, to find him and then to bring him back. And just the way they drew out that whole scene, I thought that was perfect. I loved it. Yeah, I really think they they played a great they gave the respect to James Bond that I think he deserved as someone in retirement. Like, and I enjoy, like the, as you say, the whole opening scenes absolutely fantastic. The fact that we had a time jump, fantastic. Yeah. The fact that we're, like we spent that time in Jamaica, amazing. Such a a classic Bond location. I was actually in Jamaica at the time they were filming uh, filming this, and I just had this like it never came to fruition. But I had this secret hope, like imagine if I saw Daniel Craig, how cool that would be. <laughs> that um, but great. I think he sort of. I think he broke his leg or something around that time. That's so. right, yeah. Um, but no, I, I thought all of that was fantastic. Like, I definitely have a couple of things which I've, I've sort of got thoughts and feelings on, but I even love the way that they had a new 007, and I thought that was going to kind of rub me up the wrong way, but I absolutely loved our new 007, and I just think it's I, – I don't – I, I'm glad this movie was as long as it was, and as you just said, to tell the story they needed to tell because I think they needed the time to kind of like close off some of the older story arcs, like bring about a new villain. And I think bringing about a new villain um, in, in the final Bond series is challenging. And I'd say the, the one thing which I wasn't too sure of, to be honest with you, is I thought Rami Malek, fantastic bad guy, loved everything they did. I think it was a shame that it was like we kind of played down Blowfield's role, I think, because of that. And it would have been great if there was a bit more of a parallel and a bit more Blowfield maybe came to an end and for the mission because of James, because he was working with uh, Rami Malek's character. But but he didn't. And I, I kind of wanted that more grandeur to the whole bad guy experience. Yeah, look, there's a couple of things you said I'll pick up on. Firstly, that last point. 
absolutely right. I felt I felt disappointed that they they took the the Blofeld that they allowed him to survive Spectre, as you would expect, but his influence and his role in this movie was not significant enough for me. I didn't feel any fear, and that was a shame because you want to fear him. The 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 dynamic with with Rami Malek as Sefim was was good. I thought he was a good strong bond. I thought he definitely looked the part, but I needed something more from that relationship between those two. Uh, but then just to come back up to what you were saying before about um, the fact that yeah, you know, a different 007, someone else had taken that number. That was that was so well done because when M says, "Where is 007?" and then it cuts to Daniel Craig as Bond, we we just naturally assume that that's the connection we we we've made there. And I thought that um, Lashana Lynch was was very good at, uh, as that new 007, and her and Daniel Craig had some great back and forth lines. Right. I mean, I think the pinnacle for me was when they're going in to see M and they're just con- like kids. They're just like kids. It was just brilliant. I, I think you're right. Like the, the band between them was fantastic. Even trying to work out, you know, who was actually 007, who could have the number. And then I think the kids' reference is good, right? Because when they were both in that jet and they've kind of got their sunglasses on and they've kind of made up and it's like, did we just become best friends? And it's... <laughs> Yeah, no, I thought she did a, a a fantastic job and like big shoes to fill, right? Because there's always talk of will we have a, a black James Bond next? Could it could it be a woman? And I think what this has actually done is actually kind of paved the way for hell yeah we can and it was fantastic. Yeah. No, she she was ex- exceptional. I feel like it was um a really brave choice to dish out that 007 number. Um I think there's there's a couple of reasons why I think the reviews haven't all been across the board, and I think particularly the, the 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 audience score. I think one of the reasons why there was there's a lot of people online who are not happy that 007 was given to someone other than Commander Bond. Um, but I thought it made for a, a great story point and some great banter. As we talked about talking of banter, I found myself laughing quite literally out loud. And a lot louder than other people in the cinema around me, it felt every time the Q and Bond scenes together. I think I've always enjoyed Q and Desmond Llewellyn, who I've talked about, but there's something about Ben Whishaw and Daniel Cray. I think that they've somehow taken it to another level. And the pinnacle of that was, was when Bond walked into the room and Q thinks that he has to pretend he hasn't seen him in years. And so he pretends to be all surprised. Daniel Craig's face, if you've, when, you, when we do the rewatch, Daniel Craig's face is perhaps the greatest comedy moment of any Bond actor ever. It is absolutely brilliant. And I, that, that was probably my favourite moment in the whole movie. It's funny, eh, because I thought they actually really, like, hammed up the comedy so much more than, you know, you take a movie like Skyfall, right, like, dead serious, and I think in this movie it kind of almost kind of, like, speaks to the retirement of Commander James Bond because he's a little bit more chilled out, he's a little bit more, like, he's always had nothing to lose, but he's he's a bit more fun-loving in his retirement, and I was a little bit worried at first, I'm like, when they were sort of throwing down the chuckles pretty hard, that oh god are they going are they going down too much of a a comedic path with this and I'm glad that they I think they did it in a in a well balanced way so I thought that I, yeah I think the balance is the word you've got right there I think the balance was just spot on because 
Daniel Craig, his Bond for the first time ever, I think just leaned really into a bit of that Roger Moore humor, a bit of, even a bit of Brosnan sort of swagger. And it was just, it was just enough. Um, and it was just, a, it was something a little bit different that we haven't had all the time in the other movies. And I, I thought that I would put Daniel Craig's performance as Bond's with that and other things that we'll come to, uh, I would put it potentially as his, his best performance yet. Yeah, I think when we finally get to watch this again, and I think this is a movie I want to, I want to watch in my home and kind of savor and enjoy. It will be interesting to kind of do a ranking, right? Like, is this the number one, or is it Skyfall, or is it Casino Royale? And I, I think it's going to be hard to tell. I think the other um, shout out, I think you know, speaking of comedy, is I think Ralph Fiennes' um, um, f bomb in the movie. Absolutely perfect. I can't remember the exact line it was. I've been sitting here trying to think about it, but I remember just thinking it was so perfect. I I, I remember it because it was the one and only, and it was perfectly placed. And it was, it it was when when Bond is explaining to M, you know, what's going on, and hey, he's like, oh no, this is what they're doing, and we've discovered this, and M just looks at him and goes, we, and then the penny drops, and he's that's when he's like, oh sake and it was just it was it was for me i mean you and i enjoy the uh the the bad language and like if we take a guy Ritchie movie right but in bond you don't want it and if you are going to go there it has to be for the right moment and it was it was he was the best actor uh ray fiends ralph fiends to to deliver that line i felt um and it was just it was that got the biggest laugh in, in my cinema anyway yeah no it was it was so good we we laughed as well. I think the other thing um, which I imagine people might be potentially downvoting this movie for is this is a, a sad ending, Paul, a, a very sad ending. It it really was. I oh, it's. Do you know what? It's funny because we're recording a podcast, and I know we've got to get to that. And even now, I'm like trying to trying to put that conversation off, even though we have to do it as part of our review. It's like it's it's let's. Let's just talk about two other things before we come to the ending, Dan, because I think once we start on the ending, there's no coming back, right? Can I can I just quickly say, for all the crazy action scenes in this movie, the most, and you know, some of them feel unbelievable, but the most unbelievable thing for me is how Q still has a job because the number of times this guy has done something deliberately behind M's back across the three movies he's been in is, is hilarious. Um, I think... Oh, Money Penny was great in this again. The dynamic with Bond, I just loved it. I loved the reintroduction of Madeline Swan having her play um, a key role across two movies that's not been done before. I loved Tanner. He came to the fore a, a bit more, and Bond was getting quite annoyed with him at times. I really enjoyed all of those scenes. And then, of course, as you say, uh, the, the ending, this movie did something seemingly felt impossible the thing that was almost this unwritten rule and because it didn't stick to the the what do you like the template if you want of the last 24 movies it just was a very what we witnessed we haven't seen before it was a powerful extraordinary moment and I think this is this is where it really comes into play. Would I have felt so emotionally invested in this if I had not just done the rewatch? Because 
I feel like I might have kind of forgotten a bit of the history of the character. I might have been like, oh, yeah, it was naturally the end. And it was interesting, right? Because before we walked into the theatre, I said to Samara, kind of like off the cuff, like, I wonder if James Bond's going to die. And she's like, what? What do you mean? Absolutely not. And then, like, and then it kind of sat with me throughout the whole movie. And I was like, could they? They wouldn't. What? No. And then the, the closer and closer that they kind of push the relationship they they you know they introduce his daughter it's it's all coming together there's a chance for james bond daniel craig to finally find happiness it's gone dan there's so much going on in this movie that i had not come into this review thinking even about the daughter story i mean that in itself was was a huge moment and just added to the anguish because i unlike you did not consider for a second that there could be uh, a Bond death. And I feel like um, Diana's reaction to, 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 to the Bond death was very much in line with what you just said about Samara. And I mean, you, you said it was an emotional investment. I, I think you're right. And I, without trying to sound dramatic, but in the, you know, within the context of watching a major movie, I just felt this overwhelming sense of loss of disbelief, of absolute shock, and it was too much to process. And I had to drive home afterwards. You know, I, I it was it couldn't happen, and yet it just happened right before my eyes. It was it was it was it's a cinematic moment of it, it, I'll never forget that moment. It was one of those cinematic moments where you're like, I, I genuinely feel sad for this character. I feel sad for the character, everyone around him, and, and much like you, like we had a, a half an hour drive home. And I feel like we sat in silence for a good 15 minutes, like we'd just been to a funeral because we are just sort of mourning the, the loss. And I've got to admit, when the credits rolled, I was literally waiting for the scene where James Bond's like across the road in the park, like just watching his daughter grow up but knows he can never um, be with them or, or touch them and um, he'll – or the sort of the weapon of mass destruction will sort of play its part. And when we didn't get that, I was just like, it, it felt so like they've put the full stop on the sentence. And in a way, I think for me, that's what made this movie even more powerful. No, you're right. And, uh, you know, we stayed and watched for the for the final credits as well. Because, of course, at the end of every James Bond movie, they came up with the words, James Bond will return. But they've just killed off James Bond. So the the fact that the final words, James Bond will return, did appear at the end, perhaps have never been more more poignant than in, in, in this movie because cause the grief, it kind of reminded me, and this is, may sound a little shallow, but it kind of reminded me a little bit of the death of Luke Skywalker in, in The Last Jedi. It was something I never expected, but despite there only being one Luke, obviously Bond, just like they did with, with Casino Royale, they will reboot it and... It was it was it was just more shocking, and so um, yeah, the end credits was a yeah. I felt shell shocked, and so I I don't I couldn't tell you anything that was on the screen until I just saw the last words: "James Bond will return." It was a lot. This is uh, all the guns, four guns of Kimbo. Absolutely loved it. Absolutely loved the whole journey of watching all of these movies. If you are still listening to this and you you haven't seen it yet. You definitely need to watch Spectre before you watch this movie. Um, but you know what? If you've waited this long, you've got the time. Watch all of them. This is a, a series that is all about the the growth of a character. And the way that this all plays out is is it's just wonderful. 
It really is. And and you're right, definitely watch Spectre. If you've got the time, go watch go watch them all because the the thread that continues through the whole franchise, the whole thing is you know, when you think about Mr. White in Casino Royale and then again in Quantum and then it's his daughter Leia, it just it goes all the way through. It's we haven't even talked about the death of Felix. There's so much going on in this movie. Go watch it. And I cannot wait then for us to do a rewatch and we'll just review it again. Indeed, indeed. And I'm sure that this is going to be a movie where we are going to pick up a whole bunch of new things. Yeah, I I feel like it was great to watch at the cinema, but this is one of those ones that may be even even better without, of course, the same impact and hard-hitting moment, but it may be better to watch at home and be able just to, 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 to pause and go back and just see a few of the little details because there were some really great things in this movie that just need to be picked up on. Indeed. Absolutely loved it. Um, shall I take us on over to the news desk? Let's go. All right. So a few things on the desk this morning. So already we've got uh, Squid Game has is the most viewed what most viewed TV show on Netflix to date. So they've had 111 million viewers to date. We've got to get on this, Paul. That is incredible. We we really do. When when should we do it? Should we try and do it for next week? All right, deal. All right, good. Can't wait. Um, The Walking Dead Season 11 Part 2 premiere date has been officially announced, so we'll be getting Part 2 of this and the the final part of the season from the 20th of February next year, so not too much of a wait. Cool. Speaking of The Walking Dead, um, you know, there's always these long-rumoured Walking Dead TV shows and spin-offs, but one has finally been confirmed, and this is... Um, the Walking Dead anthology series, Tales of the Walking Dead. So these are going to be uh, potentially either you know standalone one-hour episodes about either new or existing characters in the Walking Dead universe. I think this potentially could be interesting and maybe a a more fun way to explore some of those characters um, in a, a bit of a deeper way. And I like you know the idea that this could actually. I don't know if this is the case, but it actually could span the whole Walking Dead universe would be really cool. I think it's a great idea. I think this is going to work for me way more. I mean, I'm really setting up to fail, aren't I? But I think compared to like it will be on the idea of having one hour standalone episodes so I can see something about Shane. I can see something about Glenn. I can see, you know, just uh, maybe um, Madison, you know, whatever it might be. The, the Cliff Curtis character. I'm already, I've got, characters in my head that I think I'd be great to have an hour of them. I think it's a great idea. Final bit of Walking Dead news. They're coming in hot this week. The Walking Dead's Rick Grimes has joined Fortnite. Now, Paul, this is a bit of a a side note. I've kind of prided myself as someone who's never played Fortnite, but having my nephew come to stay for the weekend, that was what was largely on our TV for when it was working, (laughs) a large portion of the time. But Rick Grimes, Daryl, Michonne, they're all there. You can download them now as playable characters. Amazing. Um, the idea of the, the the characters in this game, Fortnite, there's been some amazing sort of, like it must be a smorgasbord of just brilliant characters to choose. No wonder it's so successful. Uh, moving on from The Walking Dead. So that um, 70s show, there is a, a spin-off happening called That 90s Show. I don't know if we want this, Paul, but this is kind of the, the context of it. So... 
Kurt Woodsmith and Deborah Jo Rupp are basically reprising their roles as Red and Kitty Foreman, and the show is going to be set in 1995 and will tell the story of Leah Foreman, daughter of Eric and Donna, who is visiting Red and Kitty for the summer. Amazing. I was sold with the idea of the 90s show because I love the, the premise of the 70s, but of course it wasn't our time, if you like. And so the, that 90s show, but I had no idea. Okay, maybe it was kind of, maybe that 80s show might be more, but you know, I think it would be good. I hadn't realized that they were going to go with red and uh, yeah, that's 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 a different approach. But um, look, I think it could be a fun one just to watch while you're having dinner or something. Yeah, it's got some potential way, and I think that's probably quite a, a fun way to do it. Um, and I think, you know, the 90s definitely was our time. I think they, they can't take that from us, Paul. <laughs> that was our, our formative years. A uh, couple of final things. So Netflix's third and final season of Lost in Space um, finally has a premiere date and trailer. So the third and final season will be hitting on the 1st of December this year. Great news for all of you Lost in Space fans. And then finally, it looks like uh, one, there's a WandaVision spin-off happening, uh, starring Catherine Hands. Agatha is apparently in development, so she was a, a very fun character in the WandaVision TV show, and obviously a, um, a well-celebrated character in the comic books, so look forward to seeing what they do with her character. And that is me, Paul. Anything on your end? Uh, not too much. I saw a trailer for... Home Alone, a new version of Home Alone. And I think the kids will find it very funny. I I don't know, do we need it? But I'm real I'm a real hypocrite because anytime they revisit revisit anything I love from the past, I'm all about it. Um the Stephen Merchant uh show uh, that's um been in the works for some time uh finally had a, a trailer come out. Uh, for that called Outlaws um, Christopher Walken set in Bristol honestly the trailer looks absolutely hilarious I'm definitely going to be all about that uh, we have a a new TV show which to me sounds like we've got uh, Dr. Death throw in a bit of Michael Keaton another true story um, called Dope Sick um, and that one sounds like it's going to be definitely up my alley i enjoyed dr death and of course michael keaton can do no wrong shetland season six is coming out on the 20th of october this show other than the line of duty series is my favorite uk police drama that is that's how highly i rate shetland so i cannot wait to see that and something that isn't necessarily my thing but it's 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 news because it was again a 90s thing is scream five um that's uh that's on its way and uh neve campbell courtney cox uh what's his name can't think of his name there the dude who married courtney cox and then they they split yeah they're all they're all back plus it sounds like the guy who does the voice on the phone is back um but yeah that's that's all I had. I think the biggest thing I had you already covered was that that Walking Dead show because what more what what could be better for us than to have another Walking Dead show to analyze on this podcast? They, they're keeping us in business, Paul. They appreciate us, which is good. Yeah, indeed. Let's go across to our mailbag this week, and there's only a couple of things here uh, this week. Talking of James Bond, uh, Nigel. 
Barber, who starred in Spectre, um, he shared our review of Spectre on Twitter. Uh, and he also added a comment in there saying it was such a good film and a real treat for him to be playing uh, the head of nation uh, for the in that scene with the nine eyes um, with Andrew Strong. Um, our review of Vigil uh, also got shared by a few of the cast and crew of Vigil, uh, including the director, Isabel Siab, um, Lolita Chagrapti, who played the Navy commander, um, Lorne McFadgen, who played the traitor on the submarine, and Adam James as well, who played the XO, uh, who was fantastic as well of the sub. He also shared it, and also on his Instagram story, which was nice. Uh, last week's peak performance then was Ralph Fiennes, Rafe Fiennes, I don't know still how we say this guy's name, but one thing I do remember is that neither of us chose either the English patient or Schindler's List as our peak performance. So let's see how other people have gone. Um, Jose Luis Lacasta went with the English patient uh, and a honourable mention for Sunshine. Uh, Lisa, uh, who's actually from another New Zealand uh, podcast uh, that reviews movies called It Takes Two, uh, she went with the Grand Budapest Hotel. Haven't seen that one since it came out. Uh, Sarah from Poirot, she went with Voldemort. Um, no specific movie there, but can't go wrong with Voldemort. Paddy from Time Travelling Tink Podcast, he gave us his 3-2-1 as always. Prince of Egypt, In Bruges, and Schindler's List. And finally, uh, our producer, uh, Trisha Brady, she also gave us, uh, very much like her colleague, a 3-2-1. A uh, her and Paddy always have some very similar choices, I've noticed. Um, I really expected her to go with In Bruges being from, from Ireland, but um, she didn't. She went in a, a different direction, and her 3-2-1 was Prince of Egypt, English Patient, and Schindler's List. So plenty of mentions in the end for English Patient and Schindler's List, and that is the mailbag this week. I think the only thing I would add is, didn't we have a different name for Paddy that we were going to use? My my apologies. Again, a classic half measure from me. Thank you again to Trisha and Penny. <laughs> uh, so good. So good. Um, all right. Shall we move on over then to our peak performances? Indeed. And uh, just like Movie of the Week, our weekly feature peak performance, we choose an actor or an actress, a producer or a director, and we take a look at their career. Last week was Ray Fiennes. This week, it's Gwyneth Paltrow, Dan. All right. So, interesting one, old Gwyneth Paltrow. I feel like, um, in my mind, she was big in the in the 90s. Kind of, then kind of, like, like did a few things, but kind of has disappeared a little bit off the, off the movie scene. But I don't know, like, looking at her IMDb, I don't know why I have that perception because I don't think she's gone anywhere. Anyway, um, peak performances for me, for my runner-up, I'm actually going to give it Quinneth Paltrow for her role as Pepper Potts in the Iron Man franchise. I think, you know, just like such great casting. I loved her as, as Tony's assistant and kind of how she grows into obviously taking over uh, Stark Industries, eventually getting her own Iron Man suit. 
fantastic. I love that they had such a, a big name like Gwyneth Paltrow in this in the Marvel universe from the get go. Fantastic. And then for my number one peak performance, what's in the box, Paul? I can't go past seven. Absolute classic movie from 1995. It would be interesting to watch now about sort of how it kind of stands up and is it still kind of as uh, creepy as it was when it first came out. But um, Gwyneth Paltrow plays the character Tracy, who is Brad Pitt's wife. Um, and I don't really want to say too much more than that because it'll ruin the whole premise of the movie. But if you haven't seen Seven, go and get amongst it. How about you, Paul? Nice, nice choices, Dan. I um, I went with Seven, but as my honourable mention, Seven. That is so. Again, like you, it's another one of those just incredible movies. Again, if you haven't seen it, absolutely, this has got to be top of the list of go to watch it right now. Um, I think this was the first time I ever saw Gwyneth Paltrow as well. Um, and so it was a very memorable way to sort of, uh, sort of, you know, to sort of see someone for the first time in, in this movie. But my, my peak performance for Gwyneth Paltrow also stays in the nineties and that's 1998's sliding doors. And this was, immediately what i thought of when 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 gwyneth paltrow came to mind as a as a peak performance this was the movie and what i love about it is that it takes a very sci-fi idea of parallel universes and then just applies that to a to a to a romance movie with a you know with an element of comedy in there as well um and yeah i just thought she was great in her role i thought it was a memorable movie. It's one I would definitely do a rewatch on. I haven't seen it in a while, but um, yeah, peak performance for me would be Sliding Doors with an honourable mention for Seven. It's funny, I often use the term, this is a Sliding Doors moment if I'm having to make a, a big decision in my life, like what's going to happen? Like, what pathway am I going to go down? I've never seen the movie, but I like to make the reference. Do you know what? That's a really good point. And now you've got me wondering because we all say, oh, it's a sliding door. Are we talking about the movie or was that saying, did that exist before the movie? I have no idea. I feel like I'm making I think a it's the movie. Is it? I, yeah, yeah. I, I, when, I, when a young Daniel Whiting worked at a movie theatre, I remember this being, this being out <laughs> and sort of getting enough of the context of what it was all about. But yeah, I, 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 I kind of know enough. I'm sure it's from the movie. I, I love I, that. I, I can't imagine. That, I mean, that's, that, that's real kudos to that movie because that is a, an expression which is um, – is used quite a lot so yeah fantastic well paul that probably just about brings us to the end of another episode of the half measures podcast it does indeed thank you to everyone once again for for listening and if you like what you heard don't forget you can go to nzpodcastawards.com and vote for us that would be fantastic and if you want to get in touch if you want to find yourself in the mailbag then do get in touch with us at halfmeasurespodcast.com or on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram at halfmeasurespodcast. Also, a very special shout out to our Patreon producers, Samara King, Trisha Brady, Diana Kanawa and Linda Tavner. If you too would like to become a Patreon and help keep the lights on here at the Half Measures office, then you can find those details in the show notes below. But until next week, everyone, adios.